We are here today to open up the Word of God and hear from God. What does God have to say for us as a church? So I would encourage you to turn to First uh, Peter, First Peter chapter five. The circumstances of this week, I thought it would appropriate to break from and not go into John 17. We will get to that um, next week or the week after. John 17 is just a, an amazing chapter. It is the Mount Everest of the book of John, and, and we want to handle that appropriately. And, but today, I, I want to speak just a few uh, minutes from First Peter chapter 5. And I'll begin reading in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would just bless this time. Father, bless Your Word as it goes out. Lord, this is no mere message. This is Your Word. And it will accomplish what you wish to accomplish because it is it is a living it is powerful i pray lord that it works in my life in my heart as much as it works in anyone else's here but i pray that we would not leave here unchanged may your word have its effect in our life give clarity and understanding we thank you for it we pray in jesus name amen God is a loving God. He, he is a loving God. And, and we have learned from the book of John as we have been moving methodically through that book that God loves His people. God loves those who have put their faith and trust in His Son. Those who believe in Him. God loves those who love His Son. And He responds in kind. And He loves them. And He is a benevolent God. And He He blesses those who love Him. Those who pursue Him. He he does bless. Now sometimes that blessing comes in the form of suffering. It comes in the form of pain. Sometimes God's blessing comes in the form of, of enemies or persecution that we may have here on this earth. We do not believe in a prosperity gospel. That when you become a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then all is well and everything will go happy and your finances will be, uh, will be there and you will never have any troubles. 
You'll never have any problems. That's not the Christianity that we find in Scripture at all. That's not real life either. God blesses. He blesses those who love Him. But He blesses with every spiritual blessing. He blesses with every spiritual blessing. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1. Every spiritual blessing. He doesn't leave anything out. He is a, a very giving God. And like I said, sometimes the blessings come in different forms. And James tells this, that, that we are to consider trials and sufferings of this world uh, to, be, to be good. And we're to consider them as, as joy even. And he says various trials and, and troubles and suffering in this world comes in various forms. Sometimes they're just in the form of internal struggles and we have those internally struggling over sinfulness. And I, I know... In my own life, I just there's sometimes a struggle, just those those uh, uh, times that I just don't have peace. I've sinned against God, and those that that conviction that the Word of God has placed upon me, and just those struggles, and it's a internal struggle. Sometimes there's external struggles of finances and work and family problems. Sometimes there's there's public problems, public struggles that we have. Suffering that we go through together. That would be crime. Just crime perpetrated on our society in general. 9-11 would be a perfect example of that. Or the death of a loved one that we all considered a friend. That we all loved. And so we go through, sometimes we go through suffering together. Sometimes the suffering is in the form of persecution. If you're a believer at some point, you will be persecuted. You will be Persecuted for the stand you take. Sometimes moral stance. Some people have a false view of religion, this religious system, that it's just something that you buy into. Some some belief system that you have, and it really has no effect on your life. You just believe certain things, but that's not what we see in Scripture. If you are part of God's family, God will not allow His children to remain unchanged. He will not allow His children to remain unchanged in their Christian life. He is a good heavenly Father. And He will use trouble. He will use trials. He will use persecutions and sufferings in this life to bring about the change that He wants in our life. And when we look back at it, we will say, that was a blessing. I'm glad He did that. Even though it was painful at the time. When you think of blessing in Scripture, your mind has to go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. It should go to 1 Peter. This, this letter, it was written to the church. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to his foreknowledge. So it's written to the church. And the main subject is suffering. How to handle suffering. What to do about suffering in this life. It also points us to the sovereign hand of God. That God is in control of the suffering that we're going through. And that's a wonderful thing to know when you're going through suffering. This letter also talks about how the believer is to 
to uh, be in the world, how, how the believer is to live among uh, an unbelieving, unregenerate world, a, uh, a pagan society. I read a, a comment on Facebook uh, this week. It said uh, it was a beautiful picture of a treehouse, and they're kind of popular right now. This treehouse, and uh, it was way high off the ground, but it was beautiful. It was big. And it said, uh, the caption said, uh, Who wants to come away or uh, give up on society and go live in a treehouse with me? And you think about that. Man, that'd be great. To leave all the troubles behind. Leave all the suffering in this, this society behind it. And just escape and go live in a treehouse somewhere. But we know it's not that easy, is it? It's not. God has called us to live in a harsh world. In a harsh environment. He's called us to, to suffering. He's called us to suffering. And to live in that environment. Now, Peter wants us to understand how to handle suffering. And he reminds us of a few things in chapter 1, very very beginning of the, the letter. He says, uh, he reminds us of our salvation, chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a, a living hope. Living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's, he's reminding them as they're going through suffering that... Uh, that remember this great salvation God has given to us. Also, he says, remember that you are to be distinct from the world, that you are distinct from the world, and we are to be an example to the world. If you look at chapter 2, verse 9, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that, so that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And in verse 12, he goes on to say, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may become, they may because of your good work, be, um, as they observe them, glorify your uh, glorify God in the day of visitation. We are distinct. We are to stand out in the world. As we go through suffering. But there's a couple of other things. Chapter 4 verse 7. He reminds us too. That the end of all things is near. When you're going through suffering. It's a good thing to know. That this is not going to last forever. The end is near. Christ at some point is going to come back. And we take comfort in that. We take joy in that. Now there's one last thing. That I I just want to point out. and, And Peter points that out to us. The last thing is, what does God want to accomplish through our suffering? Why would He make His children go through the hard things of this life? You would think as a loving father and the one that wants to bless his children, why would He introduce suffering to their life? He would want to, he would want to protect them and console them and never let anything bad happen to them. I mean, that's, that's a good father, isn't it? And I know when I, with people that are going through struggles, one of the first things they, they ask me, I just wish I knew why God was taking me through this trouble so I can just learn it and get on with it. Why is, why is He letting me go through this trial? Why? We, we tend to ask that question. Why does He make us go through this? And here's what I want you to see. Here's the point. 
God uses suffering to strengthen the faith and produce a robust character, a robust character in the life of those who believe so that they may stand strong in a hostile world. That's the conclusion that Peter wants us to make from these, this, uh, really from this whole letter, but in particularly this one verse. Look at verse 10. By the way, the question we'll be asking is what specifically does God want to accomplish by putting His children through suffering? What does He want to accomplish? We see here there's four things. Let me read verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you out of uh, called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself will himself now don't miss that point will himself perfect confirm strengthen and establish you look back at verse 7 casting all your cares on him because why he cares for you he cares for you He Himself is involved in your life. His sovereign hand is there because He loves you. And He Himself is is producing these things in your life through this suffering that you're going through. Through these trials that we go through. And that's exactly what we see in Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn over there, just read a couple verses. Hebrews chapter 12. He says this, and this should be comforting to us all. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. That's a good thing. Hebrews chapter 12. He says He deals with you as a a son, as a child. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I don't know of any. I was not the exception. My father disciplined me. I disciplined my son. And the just keeps going on. That's just what you do. It's what a loving father does. Verse 8. But if you are without discipline, of which all of you have become partakers, you've become partakers of this. It's just evident of your Christian life. Then you, if, you're, if you don't have that discipline, if God is not disciplining you, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now that shifts things a little bit, doesn't it? Lord, bring on the discipline. It proves, that shows that you're working in my life and that I'm one of your sons. That's a wonderful picture that Hebrews, the author of Hebrews gives to us. And that's the picture of the loving Father here. Now, so God is at work in our life and He Himself is producing these things. What exactly is He producing? He says four things. He wants to perfect you. He wants to confirm you. He wants to strengthen you. And He wants to establish you. Now let's look at those more carefully. Number one, the first thing. You can see it on the the board. There's also a handout. If you're visiting, there's a handout in your bulletin that has these on it. You can fill in the blank. The first one, perfect. He wants to perfect you. If you are being, if you are going through a trial, if there's a struggle in your life, no matter what kind, God is intentionally, is purposefully trying to perfect you. He wants to perfect you. What does that mean? God wants to restore the believer to the pre-sin state. Before Adam sinned in the garden, that state of perfection, 
That's what God wants us to get to. Now, will we ever get it in this lifetime? No, but God is still working on us. God is still working on us. The word perfect means to to be whole. The idea is to, to make someone what they ought to be, the way they were supposed to be, to be complete, to be perfect is a good uh, is really a, a good translation to be perfect he is wanting to perfect us he wants to restore us to the way we were meant to be the way we were created to be it's it's like the doctor would set a bone now it might hurt to set that bone but it needs to be set so it can grow the way it should be it's to be repaired it's to be restored now there's a couple of uh, verses here, Philippians chapter one and verse six. If you want to, you don't have to turn over there. I'll just read it quickly. Uh, For I am convinced, I am convinced of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Listen, God is not going to stop. So you're going to go through suffering because God wants you to, because He's perfecting you, and He's not going to stop. He's going to continue on until you are perfect. You say, Lord, why? (laughs) Am I not good enough? No, 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 you're not. So we keep going on. There's another verse, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, just a quick verse there. This is a good reminder for us. Hebrews 10 verse 1. For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good thing to come, and not the very form of the things can never, can never, by the same uh, sacrifice which they offer continually year after year, make perfect those who draw near. This is something, this is a perfection that the law cannot touch. We can set standards for ourselves and we can progress to those standards. We try, but that is all external. God, this is something from the heart that only God can do. From the inside. He is perfecting us from the inside. That's where the real corruption is. That's where the real work has to be done. And it it takes work. It takes pain. And God is concerned and loving enough to make sure that we go through that. And it's not just some kind of external standard that He is perfecting us from the inside where the corruption is. When the doctor, when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, there's something wrong with you, and I want to correct it, he might correct it with medicine. And sometimes medicine doesn't taste good. And it's, you know, it's kind of inconvenient. Sometimes it, it takes surgery. I, I had surgery a few years ago and it hurt. But the doctor said, you need this surgery. No, I'll live with it. No, no, you can't live with this. No, you need this surgery to correct the problem. And I will go through that pain to make sure that things are corrected. And that's exactly what God is doing. I can, another example of this is just, just recently, I've been going through pain at the gym. It's correcting problems that I have on my physique. And it hurts. It hurts. The most loving thing that God can do is to correct and fix us. Even though it's painful. Even though it hurts. 
This is an act of a, of a loving God. Now, what is it that he's trying to fix? What is it that he wants to correct? Well, there's, there's a number of things that we see in Scripture. Our mind, for one thing. Our thought life. Our thought life is not the way it should be. It needs to be fixed. I was listening to a, a little um, a sermon yesterday, and um, it was from Al Mohler, and, and he was just going uh, how sin, talking about how sin has affected the mind. And he, na- he names... 14 different ways that sin affects our mind. It was amazing. I hadn't even thought about it. God is correcting our thinking. God also wants to correct our desires. We love the wrong things. He wants to correct our value system. What's important? Sometimes we have to shift that. And, And He wants to get our attention through suffering, through trials. What's, what's our priorities? What's the most important? Sometimes it's not a, between bad and good. It's between good, better, and best. What's the priorities? What's the habits? He wants to correct the habits of our life. The things that we do. The way we respond to life. He wants to correct that. And he, and he does that through suffering. Sometimes He just wants to correct our focus. <laughs> We've got our eyes on the wrong place. Our attention is in the wrong place. And He will perfect us. And, and you know, it's comforting to me to know that He is sovereignly in control of this. And He is working. And He is fixing me. Even though it hurts. Even though I don't like it. He is fixing me. And that, that brings great comfort to me. I don't know about you, but it brings great comfort to know that my Heavenly Father just like I would spank my children, just like I would correct my children, and, and it may not feel good to them at first, but they know it's from a loving Father. You know, it makes a world of difference, doesn't it? I think so. Let's go on. Number two. So he is in the process of perfecting us through these trials. He's also confirming us. Confirming us. Now, what does, what does that mean, confirming? God wants to produce firm convictions, number two, God wants to produce firm convictions in the minds of His people. In the minds of His people. The idea, the word uh, uh, conform here is to set fast or to make stable, to make firm, to, uh, to confirm one's mind. And now, you've experienced this when something is just, there's been evidence of something and you, you finally get it and you see it and, and all the evidence is in and your mind says, yes, that's it. That's the truth. And it's been uh, uh, confirmed in your mind. It's, uh, it's when something has been verified and proven where there's now no doubt in my mind now. There's no doubt. There's no fuzziness. Sometimes we kind of live in a fog. We don't know exactly what, uh, what we believe. And sometimes these spiritual truths have to settle down into our lives and our mind and they have to sink into our thinking. And God uses trials and suffering sometimes to, to solidify those things to, till they become, until He produces in our life conviction. Conviction. That's what He wants. Something that I, I will go to the stake for. I will die for. This is my conviction. This is where I stand. This is where I'm firm in. And I just have to stand there because this is, this is who I am. It becomes part of our life. There's a few examples of this, of this idea of conviction. Um, just just a, some quick verses in Psalms. 
Psalm 90 in verse 17. Uh, you don't have to turn now, I'll just read it quickly. It says this. It says, let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. There's a permanency there. Yes, Lord, we understand now what you want us to do. You have confirmed that to us. That's just what God wanted them to do. That's good. That's, it's good to, to have that. There's no doubt what God wants us to do. Um, Psalm 119, verse 106 says this, I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. The psalmist is saying, it's a deep conviction within me and I will, with everything within me, I will keep it. I will keep it. That's conviction. It's just conviction. It's, that's what it is. It's a picture of conviction. God wants us to, God wants you and me to have a certain convictions. He wants us to know, be convinced of who He is and what we are to be doing here on this earth. The way that you respond to suffering, the way that you respond to trials, reflects what you believe. Um, theology... Theology is not just something that we believe, but it's something that we live out in our life. It is. In fact, I would go as far as to say this. If it's not lived out in our life, I'm not sure that we really believe it. It's not really part of who we are. It's not really part of us unless it's a conviction, unless we see it in Scripture and we will say, yes, this is what I believe and we stand firmly on it. And so it reflects who we are, how we, how we handle trials, how we handle the circumstances of life, tell us about ourselves, what we really believe. And sometimes it may not line up with what we say we believe. And so God, through that suffering, God, through those struggles and trials, you can say, yes, Lord, I believe these things because I've been, I've been proven. It's been proven in my life and that's been challenged and I've come through and I know these things. It has been solidified in my own mind of who you are and who I am serving and what I am to do. And that's the picture there. He's wanting to confirm us. We know who He is. We know who we serve. And we know what we're supposed to do. That's just conviction. It's conviction. I'm not just talking about surface convictions. I'm talking about real convictions on real issues. And we need to, we need to understand that. So when God is taking us through trials and these, these turmoils in our life, He's wanting to solidify things in our mind. And so you can ask that question, Lord, what is it? What is it that you want me to know that I need to stand with conviction that I'm not just, not just uh, waffling on? Number three, number three, he wants to strengthen us. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He's, he, is perfect, he himself is, is perfecting us. He himself is confirming us. And he is now strengthening us. Through these trials, he is strengthening us. That's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful idea. The cause, it means to cause to stand upright. To cause to stand. To make sturdy. And the idea is, is bodily vigor is the way one commentary put it. And it's just, it's just strength. Now, 
we have some, uh, you, you pass by maybe a, a little um, sapling. And you can knock that sapling over. Not a whole lot of strength to that sapling. But give it some time and try to push that thing over. You can't push a, a tree over. We can't do that. Why? Because it's strong. Because it's, it's rooted. It's not a sapling anymore. It's gotten strong. God strengthens us. Now that's a, that's a precious thought we see in Scripture. Now we see in Scripture also that we are to strengthen one another. And that's a precious thought. If you just turn over a few, few pages really. The First Thessalonians chapter 3. A couple verses. First Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 2 says this. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Timothy was sent, sent by Paul to strengthen. Now the idea is to, to come up alongside and, and bolster them up so that they're standing, so that they're, they're strong, they're strong. So we, we're strengthened from each other. And that's a wonderful thought. It's, a, it's a, amazing how much strength there is in numbers. When we come together as believers, we're stronger. We're stronger in the Lord. We're encouraged by one another's presence. Another, another verse that I want us to, to look at. We're strengthened by one another's presence. We're strengthened by other people. But look at this. James chapter 5, verse 8 says this, You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. So we're strengthened by other people, but we're also to strengthen our own hearts. How do we do that? We take the Word of God, and we read it, and we digest it, and we let it bolster us up. And it strengthens us. It's that nourishment coming up within that tree and, and making that tree stronger. So we do that. But I tell you, I depend upon the Lord's strength too. And so I call you back to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 17 says this, verse 16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loves us, who loved us and has given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your heart. God Himself does that for you. When you go through trials, when you go through struggles, you can rest assured, if you are God's children, He is there and He is strengthening you. Down in verse 3, but the Lord, verse chapter 3, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Man, that's good to know. When going through trials, it's good to know that God in His sovereign hand, He is there. He's taken us through this very hard time in our life, but He's there bolstering us up, strengthening us. That's the picture. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I would try to do chin-ups. You, you've tried to do chin-ups before. and You pull yourself and you almost get there and you can't get there. And, and, and some adult will come along and, and they'll just lift you up just a little bit so you can strengthen yourself. So, so you can, he, he, he does it, but, but you're pulling up and, and you become stronger as a result of it, don't you? You become stronger. It just reminds me, um, you know, what we do with those little saplings. We put a stick beside it. And we kind of tie it to that little stick, and that little that stick will will make it a little bit more sturdy. 
Uh, it's the picture of, of, of Moses holding up his arms as uh, the children of Israel are out on the battleground. And when he's holding his arms up, he, they're winning. But when he puts them down, they're losing. And so someone comes along and, and holds his arms up, strengthening him, helping him to hold them up all day. Folks, we need one another. We need to do that within our own selves, of course. But we need one another. We need one another to do that as well. But then... Let me show you the, the ultimate picture of this. And this is in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The, some of the last words that we know of Paul, that we hear from Paul. And he's already said, look, everybody else has, has left me. In verse 16 he says this, At my first defense, no one supported me. No one was there when I stood before uh, Caesar. That was what he was waiting on. No one, and he probably did it in different consecutive motions, and he had his first defense there. And he says, no one was there. No one was supporting me. But all had deserted me. May it not be uh, counted against them. But the Lord, listen, here's where his comfort goes. Here's where his mind goes automatically. He says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So that through me the proclamation might be fulfilled or fully accomplished. Isn't that wonderful? He says, nobody else was there, but boy, God was there. God was strengthening me. He was holding me up. He was pulling me up. He was making sure the wind didn't just come and just completely knock me over. Paul's a great example what God wants to do in our life. God Himself will strengthen us. He will take us through those trials, but He comes along and He strengthens us as well. Have you ever gone through a trial and you look back and you say, man, I would have never been able to do that. I I can't even do a a chin-up. How did I do that? And you look at that trial and you think, only God could have done that. Only by the strength of God did He allow me to go through that suffering, that trial. But we have a promise from God Himself that He will be there. He will strengthen us. Folks, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. One more. Number four. Back to 1 Peter. He he Himself is, is perfecting us. He is confirming us. He is strengthening us. And He is establishing us. And that's an interesting word. It's a great word. He's establishing us. The idea is to, to lay a foundation. A lay a foundation here. And it's the idea is so that other, something can be built upon it. Uh, the, it's to consolidate the ground, to, to pull it together, to make it, it firm, um, settled. When I worked at a... Um, Mind Management Consultants was the name of the company, but it was an engineering firm. One of the jobs that I had is uh, I would go out with this man, and he had a density tester. And when you'd pull dirt out of the mines or slate or something out of the mines, you'd, you'd put it in, in this hollow, a hollow fill, or a, you know, a slate dump or, or something. You know, we're all exposed to that. We, we've seen those things. And um, we would go out and test the density because nothing could be built on it until it was, it was really compact, until it was really, really dense. And, uh, and we would poke holes in the ground, and there would be this little probe, and it was a radioactive testing. Uh, radioactive waves would shoot down and come back, and they would test the density of this, of this uh, land. And that was one of, one of my jobs. And, um, 
And so we would, we would just do that. And he would explain to me, you know, I was just, you know, a young guy, and he would explain to me what, what was going on. But you couldn't build a, a shopping center on this place until it was dense enough. Until it was established, until it was, until it was firm and strong enough. The reason for building a foundation is to build something on it, isn't it? A man, he, he will go out, I have a young, young men in my house that are getting stronger. So that, so that they can go out and they can be established. And establish for themselves a home a family, a wife, and children. And it takes some time. And things have to be, have to be right. You have to be, there has to be a firm foundation there. God wants to do that in your life. Now the best picture of this in Scripture is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. And you need to turn there. You need this image in your mind. Ephesians 4 verse 14. And you know the passage. Let me read it. Here's the results, he says. As a result, you are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves of, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness, in deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up We are to grow up into all aspects into Christ, who is the head, even Christ. The idea here is that maturity, maturity. Um, What's the difference between maturity and immaturity? It might be hard to define, but we know it when we see it, don't we? And we can look at someone and say, they're just immature. Or we can look at someone and say, they're, they're pretty mature for their age. They're very mature. Um, but there is a difference. We had a job when um, uh, I would take my kids out. Uh, my, my policy was when daddy's out working in the yard, if I'm cutting grass, everybody's outside working in the grass, okay? And so their job was to pick up all the little sticks. You know, it was a tedious job. I hated it. That's why I get them to do it. <laughs> and you know what? Little kids... Trying to get them to work. It's crazy. It's not fun. And, and they just, they, they want to play. They want to make it. And so what you have to do is you have to make a game. Okay, who can get ten sticks for daddy? You know, put them in the wheelbarrow. You know, and you have to make a game out of it. They lose focus. They're, they're not really uh, um, designed to, to, to do that. They're just, they don't have that mature level yet, do they? It is they just don't. They turn it, everything into a game. Everything's fun. Everything's just... Uh, they don't really see the, the soberness of life. They're not ready to take on the responsibilities of life. They're not there yet. They, they can't handle the, the hard job of, of taking care of themselves, let alone taking care of other people. But what happens when they become mature? What happens when they become a spiritual, an, a, a, an adult spiritually, mature spiritually? That's what God is, is working in our life so that He may establish us. So that we're mature. So that we're focused. We know what we want, what He wants us to do. 
And there's a soberness to our life and a focus in our life that we're just, we're just going after it. We're not just kids anymore. We're not just playing around and look at this or this, you know, this shoulder hurts. Daddy, I can't do it. No, we're just, we're focused. And God's wanting to establish us. Establish us. On, on a firm foundation so that every generation, the, the next church can rise up. That next generation can be built upon a solid generation. And folks, that's what we saw with Pastor Flager. The Lord used him. He established him. And on his shoulders, there's another generation that's going to rise up. What about you? God's wanting to do the same thing with you. He's wanting to mature you, to bring you into maturity so that, so that He can build a, another foundation. He can continue to build His church. Spiritual children upon your shoulders. That's what God is doing through trials. That's what God is doing through the testing and struggles of our life. He's wanting to mature us. And folks, sometimes I just think, man, look at that. I'm so distracted. I just want to have fun. You know, life's about fun. Life's about... Sometimes at some point, folks, we just got to mature ourselves. We got we to be mature and say, okay, what is this life about? Give me more responsibilities, Lord. I can handle it. I can take care of myself. And if you want to entrust me with more people, I, I can do that. I can do that. All of these terms, all of these terms really are kind of synonymous with the idea of being uh, strong and immovable. Strong and immovable. When you're strong and immovable, you can face a harsh world. You know, we're talking about saplings, but you know, the trees come, there's winds, there's cold. When the tree is established, when he is there and he's rooted, he can handle the cold. He can handle the the wind, the snow. He can handle the the heat, the harshness, the harsh realities of of life. And God wants us to be able to do that. There's a certain toughness about being a Christian. You know, just the facing the realities of life. Sometimes we don't want to face them. But I tell you what, when you can face death squarely and say, bring it on because I know who I serve and I know my purpose here. And when that purpose is gone, He's going to take me home to heaven and I, I don't even flinch. I just know, folks, that's maturity. That's what I saw in my friend, Pastor Flager. I saw that. When we're strong, when we're strong, we maintain a, a moral stability, a moral standard, which is found in Scripture, even though everyone around us is rationalizing that morality away. We have to be strong because the world's doing that. Boy, they can rationalize pretty good. We have to stand strong on the truth even when there's good people that are teaching heresy and are living out that heresy around you. You have to stand strong. And you, you have to keep the faith even though other people are walking away from that faith. And you begin to look and, well, God, is it, is it just me? Is this real? He takes you through trials so that you can 
You can know that. You can know that within your own heart and mind. When you can uphold God's value system in a world who has no value system. That's strength. That's maturity. That's responsibility. A mature believer can, can look at himself and he can look at others and he said, you know what? I'll take responsibility spiritually. I, I'm going I'm to make sure that I'm growing. And, and I'm, I'm going to help those around me to grow and to strengthen. That's what we're to do. That's what God is producing in our lives. That's what God wants us to be. It's where we're the place that God wants us to be. And He's going to bring trials and sufferings into our lives until we're there. From generation to generation to next generation. You get the picture. God is at work in our life. And He will bring about pain. Pain in your life. To be able to accomplish what He wants to do. But that is the most loving act of a kind and gracious Father that doesn't just turn His back on His children, but He loves them. And He's involved in their life. Let's pray. Father, You are, you are so kind. You are a loving God. You are gracious, Lord. You have proved Yourself to be a Father. And Lord, what You are taking this church through is difficult times. Lord, help us to rise to the occasion. Help us to realize what You're doing. What You're doing in our life. And cooperate with it. Help us to, to become mature. And focus on why You have us here. Make disciples. Focus on who you are, how great you are. Lord, Lord, make us what you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, for your personal, your personal work in my life, in the lives of these people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I just want to ask a few questions of your own self. I, I, I want you to go away introspect, thinking about this. What is God? Of these things that I've just talked about today, what is God wanting to accomplish in your life? How am I weak and anemic Christian? How am I like that? What can I do to strengthen myself? What is God working on? Well, it's going to fall in those categories. It's going to fall in those categories. These are difficult days. They really are. And I, I look at you and I'm just so thankful to have a congregation that has a theology that can help them through these difficult times. We can rest assured where Don Flager is. And we can continue to build on what has been established here. Build upon the life of the people in the past.